Welcome to this edition of Hindsight is Horrifying, the show where three mostly normal and somewhat cynical adults discuss life as members of the TV generation. Says it every week. Now here are your hosts, Darth Jada, Jason Mitchell, and Adam B. Adam B. We're all here. Ha 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 ha. It's good yes, to be we're here. we're all here. Yes. In spirit and in reality. Trebek. <laughs> I'm not here in spirit. <laughs> Just physically. Just in spirit. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> now, welcome everybody to another exciting edition of Hindsight is Horrifying. Um, now, I do have to admit that tonight I have a bit of a problem. Okay, because we've gotten here, we've gathered in this room that to discuss, yeah, to discuss a movie. Yes. The problem is, I saw Ghostbusters Afterlife today. <gasps> All I want to do is talk about it. Uh, Ghostbusters well, Afterlife. Go see it. Go see. Go it. see it. It was really, really good. I it trust was, his it, opinion. It was. It was very good. Yes. Apparently, we're yeah. all going to see it together now. <laughs> yes. And we're yes. carting the children along, so yeah. that'll be fun. No spoiler alerts. No. We. Oh no, no no! I'm not going to say anything about it. Yeah. Don't ruin our first time, please. Um. <laughs> Too late. That's what she said over and over again. I ruined someone oh. else's first time. Damn. Oh. Oh. Anyway, yes. so uh, Darth, Aww. why don't you tell the good people what non-Ghostbusters movie we're watching tonight? <laughs> we're watching not Ghostbusters. Uh, we are watching Hindsiders, one of my all-time top five favorite movies. It's a good in one. The world. Oh yeah. So much so that both of the boys. Truly enjoyed it, and that well, doesn't surprise me. me. You you don't said you did. Me. I know. You said it off camera. I know, but now we're on on screen. I I got a voice. He's got a tongue in my he, head. When he goes home, someone will be speaking for him. <clears throat> exactly. Don't do it here. Oh dear God! Don't well, compare me to your wives. <laughs> what I was going to say, who we both love very much. Oh my God! Could go anywhere. <laughs> could go anywhere. Come on, dude. <laughs> oh, now it? you're speaking for him, but that's yeah. okay. No, what I was going to say is, I was when you first told me that we were going to watch Wonder Boys. Yes, a mm-hmm. movie I knew almost nothing about. Uh, well, that knew surprised nothing the about. hell out of me that neither of you had seen. I had it. no, I never seen. I had it. heard of it. I was I was a bit worried because I immediately got a Dead Poet Society vibe. Uh, I can understand that from the beginning because they're the classroom setting and all that. I understand. It's I, I can say with absolute confidence though, this movie is not Dead Poet Society. It's the opposite of Dead Poets. It's the Poet opposite Society. because Dead Poet Society is shit. And this uh, movie is fantastic. I'm not sure that I agree that Dead Poet Society is shit, but uh and to give you a feel of what this movie is about and how different it is from Dead Poet Society. The synopsis, uh, which is partially correct, so it's a professor suffering from writer's block, no he's not, tries to deal with the pressures of his complex love life and his troubled students' assorted problems. It's the opposite of that. Despite the encouragement of one of his admiring female pupils, the professor is obsessed with his current work. He finds release in his friendship with a lonely but gifted student, but the news of his lover's pregnancy further complicates his Ooh. already difficult life. His lover. That always complicates <laughs> <His> a life. <laughs> <laughs> a lover in general complicates yes. a life, let alone when she gets knocked up. Yeah. So... Oh, not that I would know anything about that. Well, this this is a movie that is very much an actor's movie. Oh, yes. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I mean, uh, we've got uh, Michael Douglas in yeah. probably the best role I've ever seen Michael Douglas in. It's my favorite role that I've ever seen him in. He's been in some good movies. He's had some no good doubt. roles, but this yeah. one is my favorite. And same with Robert Downey Jr. 
I love Sherlock Holmes. I he's great as Tony Stark. He's he's good at everything that he does, but this role it's like it was designed for him. So those so those yeah. movies are basically what happens when you decide to give up being a real actor and just cash the checks. <laughs> Wouldn't you? Oh, absolutely. I'm not criticizing We'd have a much it. Nicer studio if that happened oh. to any of the three of us. No, RDJ. That was not a criticism. That was a that was a yeah. smart move. Yeah, sir. well done, you. Um, this movie reminds me very much of a certain vein of movies that we got in the '90s. Not so much in the early 2000s. Right. Um, I'm immediately uh, put in mind of um, Scent of a Woman. Mm-hmm. All right. I thought you might say Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Very, very late, or, uh, dialogue intensive. I could, I could see that. Yeah. yeah. Um, dialogue I think intensive the university without thing. being over, overly expositional or boring. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. That's the, dialogue the beauty is... of this. It's so character driven. It's yeah. not really. Because uh, that's one thing that Roger Ebert said. He had a glowing review about this movie. Not only that it's one of the most accurate portrayals of campus life that he's ever seen, because he was an English professor at a certain point. Ah. But he said that the movie involves uh, dead dogs, Monroe memorabilia, a stolen car, sex, adultery, pregnancy, guns, dope, and cops. But it's not about any of right. those things. Yes, yes, it's about yes. the people indulging in those things. Yeah. And how they, <laughs> Michael Douglas, that, he, he looks, looks so, oh, because he's he's walking. On they're a walking angle. on the yeah. Yeah, I was wondering there was. They're walking on the. She's electric- got nice legs. Well, so so explain what's so, going on here. Uh, so Michael Douglas, it doesn't really get into the synopsis that in that much detail, and it was only sort of accurate. So Michael Douglas is an English professor, and he doesn't have writer's block. As it turns out, it's a bit of a twist that. It's the opposite of writer's block. Yeah. He's been working on uh, his uh, next novel because he wrote like the best American novel seven years ago. It's called The Arsonist's Daughter. It was critically acclaimed. It had, you know, great reviews, the whole nine, and it put him on the map. Now it's seven years later and he has yet to produce another book. And he's got a diehard editor, Robert Downey Jr. Uh, Crabtree. Terry, Terry Crabtree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he calls him Crabs. And uh, so Terry flies in for the weekend for this thing that the campus is holding called Word Fest. And you know, for writers, there. you would think they'd come up with a better name. Yeah, uh, it's like yeah. Word Tales. Yeah, Sip's got a fest. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, they ripped us off. Word, Word Tales is vastly superior. It is. But Absolutely. Michael Douglas even has a line. He's like, "I knew Crabtree didn't give a shit about Word Fest. <laughs> he was in town to ask me about my book." Like. And so Crabtree has been getting pressure in New York City where he's a fancy editor. And he is there to pressure Grady to see if he can look at the book and help him make some progress. And Grady's holding him at bay the entire yeah. time. This is this is a relationship that showed up in movies um, in the past. There was this idea of the writer and his editor the, being and, kind and, of his champion. Well, and it's half champion and half the guy who's poking Poke, him, oh, trying yeah. to get him. You know, I need that book. I need that book. Yeah. You know? But, uh, uh, you need the commission is what you need. But Terry flies into town, and lo and behold, he's in the company of a rather tall transvestite uh, named, uh, what was he going Slo- by? Sloviak? Sloviak something, uh, Antonia yeah. Sloviak, yes. Right. and Because once he takes his makeup off Call later. Tony. Tony, <laughs> yeah. now that I'm home. Antonia. But, yeah, he shows up in these spiked heels, and Grady's first observation, and that's another compliment that... Uh, 
Ebert gave this is that there are no emotional show-offs. Like, there wasn't no. this big reveal that, oh, the transvestite's a transvestite, and everybody has to accept her. Everybody clocked her immediately for what she was, and nobody really was bothered by it or said anything about it. No, Except it, for it, Grady. He's like, she's a transvestite, and Crabtree's like, you're yeah. stoned. He goes, she's still a transvestite. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, um... So that's Terry's date to WordFest, yeah. which is being hosted initially. The kickoff party is at Dr. Walter and Sarah Gaskell's house. She is the chancellor of the university. Which Sarah Gaskell played by, in my opinion, the finest actress working today. Oh. She's one of them for sure. I, I think Frances McDermott is probably the best actress out there right now. I, I can't think of somebody better. Well, her performance was so nuanced in this. It, yeah. was, it was terrifying. You know, I mean, she led us down a path at the end, which we can talk about, but with her facial features, with the way she looked, with her you know, jittery movements, you know, she was fantastic. And, of course, she's married to John Boy Walton, which was a little weird. Yeah. Uh, also known as Billy, Billy Boy from 1990s It. Yeah. Uh, he was unrecognizable in this movie, though, because I'd never seen him with a beard. So it took me quite a while to realize that it was him. But uh, So Sarah is married to Walter Gaskell who is Grady's boss at the university. Well, they're both technically his boss because she's the chancellor of the entire university and Dr. Walter Gaskell oversees the English department where uh, Grady teaches. And meanwhile, Grady's having an affair with Sarah. Unbeknownst to hubby. Uh, well, His Harvard that... degree did not even reveal that he was <laughs> yeah, he, he's mounting he, his wife. Yeah, he comes across as a very oblivious sort yes. of person. Well, he's, um, sort of, he's intellectually self-involved, just like all the people very much that, so. that surround them. And yeah. that was one of the things that Ebert said, he, and that was the accurate portrayal of the campus life, because he said, this movie recognizes some important things. First, that the students come and go. And second, that the faculty lives there. That's their entire life. And mm -hmm. they spend entire cycles, like decades at a time, in the kind of grad situation. Like, yeah. And they're just there over and over again every year. And he's like, even the weekends, I remember rambling around in a car, like looking for the next party and just being surrounded by people who were utterly self-indulgent and loaded, but they were so wrapped around, wrapped up in themselves that... It just had that exact same air. Like the, apparently, this movie really captures that at the opening party at Sarah Gaskell's house. Well, it's it's this, and I think this is sort of a theme too of, of college movies of this of this generation. It's this: we're all self indulgent and we all hate it, and everybody else. Ah, uh, yes, you know, but yes. we still do it ourselves. It's like low key Gatsby, kind yeah, of culture. <laughs> yeah, it's um, oh, like there a, he is. Yeah, well, like I said, you oh. know, so sin of a woman. Right. First thing that comes to mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Second thing is uh, the Emperor's Club. I, I haven't seen I have either seen of these that movies. One. Okay. You didn't see Son of a Woman? <gasps> oh my God! You would, <gasps> you gotta see Son of a Woman. Oh my <laughs> gosh, he's an army guy. You know, I'll, I'll forgive him for that because the performance is great. Take it's it easy, fantastic. Tiger. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, the Emperor's Club though, that is, in my opinion, the best. And this is saying something. The best Kevin Klein performance. Ever. I was about to say, I love Kevin Klein in just about everything. Uh, I, in, so. I've never seen a Kevin Klein movie I didn't like. Same. I've exactly. never seen it. I've never seen him do a performance that was less than great. And yeah, Emperor's Club. Okay. Probably his best game. But this was a thing. There were these sorts of like uh, slice of life movies where really the conflict wasn't so much that there was like an immediate conflict. It was more like these characters have lived their lives. Their lives are about to reach a turning point. Let's watch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, and then, you know, they're going to be set upon by all these new sets of problems as life is wont to do to you. But you get to see them 
you know, overcome just these particular obstacles and then life keeps going. It's so accurate. It's not some big dragon that you have to slay or like a nice ribbon with a bow at the end of the story. Just everything just evolves from where it ends in that particular cycle. And, Oh, the red cowboy boots with Katie Holmes. Katie uh, Holmes. I, is I know in you. It. I you know you guys didn't yeah, enjoy that. No. <laughs> but but I must say, you know, Katie Holmes is in it, and you used a very derogatory term for her. In I don't this know film. what you're talking about. She said that she was a slut in this film. That is Just, not what I said. What'd you say? What'd you say? Loots? <laughs> I said she was a bit skanky in this movie. Skanky. She's like trampy, maybe. Not yeah. skanky. Okay, yeah, skanky yeah, applies a certain yeah. dirtier level. Yes, okay, yeah. and and Jade Jade was looking through the lens of her eyes <laughs> in judging her. Now I must say, now who's speaking for whom? She, I'm looking through my lenses. She said she was skanky because she wanted to sleep with her 50 year old. That professor. is not why. I, no, you're now, completely misquoting say, me. Mom, Dad, stop it! I have nothing but the greatest <laughs> respect for Katie Holmes, Ew, and that if just I made met it her, so much worse. Oh, I, I can fix her, it. Timmy, be, go to your room. I'd be okay with it. <laughs> that makes you the waffle. <laughs> anyway. anyway, anyway, no. Can I point out how subtle the movie is? Oh. Yes. And I want to give a, an example that just happened. This movie's subtle as hell. <laughs> it's so subtle. It hits you in the face with its subtlety. <laughs> um, immediately after the scene where Frances McDermott tells uh, Michael Douglas that she's pregnant. Right. Okay. We cut to the party and we see Michael Douglas walk up to Rip Torn, who is talking to Katie Holmes. Who in Rip Torn and, is the Stephen King of this universe. Yeah. He has yeah. a new novel. Q. I am. I am Q. See, he has a goatee. Just yes, like, he's yeah. got a name tag and everything. I, I have <laughs> Q. See, I got Q. Yeah, Q completed a novel every Q colors months. his beard, though. I, I hated him. I know. <laughs> yeah, he colors. Oh, of course he does. Yeah. I, um, nobody in this room colors their did hair. Did you just pick up? I did. Yes. Okay. Okay, but the thing is, in that scene, we see Michael Douglas walk up, and he sort of goes around Katie Holmes, and he's addressing Rip Torn. Mm-hmm. Katie Holmes very subtly puts a hand on his arm. But then what does he do? Well, wait, wait, wait. That wasn't the thing that caught my eye. What was? After that, it immediately cuts to a very quick shot of Frances McDormand looking and seeing it, Uh, and you just see the look on her face. And she's jealous because uh, Michael Douglas does go up, and Katie Holmes does initiate that. She just puts her hand on Grady's arm, and she's in the middle of talking to Q, and... Uh, Michael Douglas is like, if you want to impress Hannah, you got to dust off your A material because uh, she just had an She's article published. published yeah. uh, and uh, then he just sort of strokes the back of her head Ooh, kind of intimately like and walks away yes. from her. Yes. And uh, yes. that's what Frances McDormand is uh, noting. And Rip Torn is like, no, she looks before that. She looks and then he does that. Uh, no, that's what I'm saying. She yeah. saw that gesture. But then you they yeah. focus on her just sort of icily staring across the room and she doesn't and once again Ebert wrote the best review over this he said she doesn't get hysterical about the pregnancy but she does hold Grady this is the part I'm adding she does hold Grady to a certain standard of behavior despite the fact that she understands his general lifestyle he stays high on pot basically 24 7 yeah strong pot strong pot and it's to a functioning level he still teaches his classes but you find out later in the movie that he does practically everything under the influence yeah Mm -hmm. including having written his first very successful book and it happened to win a little award called the pen award which i accepted under Under the the influence influence. (laughs) so uh 
because Katie Holmes doesn't quite reprimand him later, but she she has one of the best lines in the movie, which surprises me considering she has the Dawson's Creek, you know, teeny bopper reputation in my mind because that was the big show that she was on when I was growing up. But in this movie, she was telling him or throwing his own words back at him from class. She's like, Grady, you know how you're always telling your students that writing is all about making choices? Well, with your book being 2,000 pages long and all single spaced and you hear the genealogies of everyone's horses and their dental records and so on and so forth, it's like you didn't make any choices. Yeah. Well, that's what the whole movie's about. That's about exactly. the whole movie. And that's, that's, that's the movie. Exactly. That's her articulating his yeah. whole problem with his life is that yeah. he it's doesn't. the true line. Yeah, because yeah, the, uh, the whole thing is uh, Grady's wife did leave him that morning that our adventure begins upon, and you never see Emily. She leaves, and she's alluded to quite a few times. You even meet her parents, actually, when Grady and James break into their house later, but you never see Emily herself. But it's And Sarah, I think, was stuck in a similar rut, and what changed everything for her was obviously the pregnancy because they Mm -hmm. were both staying with their spouses and just happy to be having an affair and carrying on with each other. Right. Uh, But then the pregnancy, you know, forced her to make a decision, and she did. Well, they were going through the motions in their marriages. They were just, you know... Yeah, neither of them is happy. No, they're not necessarily unhappy, Again, this is a sort of vibe you got a lot from movies like this, well, where it, it was like, oh, my, you know, my, my marriage ended. They're, well, and it they're goes a back, little leaf. They're a leaf in a creek. Yeah. Just washing down, not making any choices. Right. And it goes right. back to yeah. that subtlety that you were talking about, Jason, because when uh, Sarah does tell Grady that she's pregnant, uh, he, he tells her, oh, well, that's pretty surprising. Does Walter know? And she goes, I think Walter would find this a little more than surprising. <laughs> by by and, the way, I, I, we're going to cut it later on. We're going to do the recast it. Okay. Game. Oh, oh, absolutely. Uh, I am going to tell you right now, the, uh, uh, what was the transvestite's first name? Tony. Slash Tony. Antonio. Yeah, Tony. Uh, Brennan Fraser. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think he's made for the part. It'd be hilarious. The legs wouldn't be as shapely. No, that's true. Days, that's true. But, yeah, Tony's uh, got good legs. Tony does, but... Um, yeah, so, the, like you said, they were going through the motions, but you you have to pay attention to this movie to really under like appreciate it mm-hmm. because if you if you miss a line here or there, you're gonna. Can, speaking of which, can we do subtitles on this? Oh yeah, <laughs> sorry. Thank you. Because James uh, just had this great monologue where because he the way that Tobey Maguire fits into this movie is that both he and Hannah Green, Katie Holmes, are students of Grady's, and James, as Grady says it. He was the sole inhabitant of his own gloomy gulag. And he always writes incredibly real and substantial pieces, but they are always incredibly depressing. And the other students in workshop absolutely hate him, critique him to within an inch of his life. Like, they they claim to hate all of his stories. Jealous. Yeah. yeah, No, that's... (laughs) Oh, you're jealous. (laughs) But... um, but James is a bit of a creeper. He shows up at the WordFest preliminary party. He's standing outside... You lurking, know, lurking with a gun, like twirling a gun in his was hands. Was he going? To, I, I wanted to ask you about that. Okay, because it's sort of the the implication is given that he was going to kill himself, and then it's sort of was it a real gun? Was it a fake gun? Which he of course, claims it's a cap gun because Grady sees it and he's like, "You're out here with a gun," and he's like, "Oh, it's a cap gun. It's a." Memento from my childhood. My mom won it when she was going to Catholic school. Which is a lie. Oh, well, yeah. see, I don't I don't think that he was going to kill himself. What I think is that James is the literary type that deliberately cultivates eccentricities to make himself seem like he has a more substantial personality. 
And there are plenty of literary types like that. Mm -hmm. It's like having a weird ask in your writer. Oh, I have to have bowls of green M&Ms or whatever. One time. I did that one time. (laughs) One time is all it takes. God, I'm never going to live this. Never live this. I heard that was one wild sex party. Those are supposed (laughs) to be really good aphrodisiacs. It would have been wilder if they had had the green fucking (laughs) M&Ms. It would have been wilder if there was anyone else at the party. I don't know. I don't know. It's pretty wild, actually. No inhibitions when there are no people around. (laughs) (laughs) is it an orgy if it's only one person yeah because in i'm gonna back up my theory further with james because he spends the entire movie spoiler alert just building this elaborate and borderline ridiculous tapestry of what his life supposedly is telling this story to grady to garner sympathy and let sort of influence grady to let him stay with him for the weekend he's got they've got kind of a you know, father-son sort of, you know, feel going on with their relationship. He, Grady's a, an avuncular type in Tobey Maguire's life in this movie. And you don't really understand the motivation behind James wanting to stay with Grady. That's never really explained. He just has kind of a fixation on his professor because that's one of the few supportive people in his life, I suppose. But no, I don't think well, he, he was me- going to kill himself he outside the He did mention distinctly that he was the reason he... Wanted to become a writer when he read his book. That's true. He admires him, yeah. but the he just gloms onto Grady's life in a very creepy fashion. Right. Instead of he's eccentric. He is. Well, no, I think he's purposely cultivated his eccentricity. I Do you don't think he lived in the bus station. No, because okay. uh, no, you saw so. the house that he was living yeah, in. Yeah, like, no, no, no. I mean, he may My have stayed God, a night house. or two. That that basement lair. Beautiful, yeah, you know, that, uh, it's like Spider Man could live there. Wait a minute. (laughs) Was this pre or post? We've got DC and Marvel fighting. That's true. Because Katie Holmes was in Batman. That's true. (laughs) Oh, and we've got to mention this. Until she was recast. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, Maggie. Uh, Thanks, Tom. You were both pretty good. But but Maggie's the one who got killed off. That's true. Yeah, that's true. So I have to ask you, gentlemen, Jason, I, I know you didn't recognize. We talked about this off camera. Adam, did you recognize this dog when you watched this movie? Uh, from the Little Rascals, of course. <laughs> no, no, he had a circle around his eyes. <laughs> That's what I mean. Yeah, but they added yeah, that. Yeah. Um, no, I, I don't know. Who is he from? That is Chance from Homeward Bound, oh. voiced by Michael J. Fox. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Now, are and you sure they weren't in the Little Rascals also? He might have been. We must look that uh, up. I didn't, I didn't look it up. I just know when I watched the movie, because Homeward Bound was one of my favorites growing up, and then when I saw this later in life, it, it didn't seem... You know, as if it could belong on the same timeline, because I watched this movie something like 10, 12 years later. Uh, so, but they were made relatively close together. It's just this wasn't a movie that I would have watched in 99 because it wouldn't have held my interest when no. I was about yep. like 11 years old. But that's Chance, and it's actually two identical American bulldogs. And yeah. to give them the effect, because uh, Hindsiders, if you don't know, Poe belongs to Dr. Gaskell, Sarah's husband. And that's just the literary basic bitch move to get an animal and name it something like like Poe. I'm sorry. It but wasn't it named in the book. It was a different name. Yes, that's I true. Can't the remember. book is incredibly yeah. different, but the movie, I think still captures the spirit and the essence of the oh, book yeah. properly. Yeah. Cause Emily, you actually, uh, Grady's ex-wife, you actually meet her. She's an Asian American woman instead of a young Caucasian woman. Uh, and she actually takes part in some of the story. There's a snake that dies alongside the dog. <laughs> like there are a lot of other mm-hmm. weird eccentric things happening. But, so, and the person who says "take a bow, James" is not Gray. Mm-mm, who Gray. is it? It's um, 
It's uh, Katie Holmes' character, isn't it? I don't remember. I think it is. I was actually asking you. Oh, no, I, I, I think it's, I can't remember Katie Holmes' character name. Hannah. 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 I think it's Hannah. Oh, it might be. I need to yeah. reread the book because it's delightfully yeah. uh, eccentric. But so Poe, the dog, Walter Gaskell's dog, hates Grady because. Grady is stooping his master. <laughs> Yes. yes. No, his master's wife. Female master. Uh, okay. Well, in a way, he's also... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, know, you yeah. know, that's true. Stipping both of them. Fair enough. So uh, Poe finally corners Grady and attacks him, and you come to find that James's cap gun is, in fact, a real gun because he shoots poor Poe. And kills him. Yeah, and uh, as sad as it made me, this is one of the few movies that, where there's a dead dog, and I don't get genuinely upset. It's and so cartoony. And I don't know how this movie it pulled very, it off. Yeah, yeah it's because it, it's like you're watching it on stage. Yep. You know, yeah. and you see a fake dog fall, <laughs> you know, it, it's hard to think of Poe as a real dog. It kind of is, yeah. especially with the blind context that both of the dogs had to wear. But that leads to one of the funnier lines where it's like, wow, this car fits, uh, and I'm not going to get it right, but this car fits a tuba, a suitcase, a dead dog almost perfectly. <laughs> and Grady's like, yep, that's just what they used to say in the ads. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, yeah. And it's just this well, whole movie. You know what the car is, right? It's, it's a galaxy, um, right? Ford Galaxy. No. Yeah, yeah Ford Galaxy. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah, they have... 1960s. Some of the car choices... Ford Galaxy 500. Yeah. Some of the car choices in this movie are a bit off because I don't know anyone who would go out and buy a Citroen DS. I mean, honestly, because that's what... Um, Sarah drives. Sarah drives a Citroen DS. And it's not suitable for their climate. I mean, it's it is, all... It's not suitable for Earth. <laughs> <laughs> it's, well, it, I'll have you know, my junior high band director was a dealer of Citroens. He drove a Citroen. He had a DS? He had a DS, yes. And I, I, I remember, I was like, what kind of car is that? Oh, it's a French car. Was he late for work often? <laughs> <laughs> Did they break down pretty yeah, often? Yeah. Oh, okay. It's not a Fiat. Is that the joke, Ted? That's true, yeah. You know what yeah. a Fiat stands oh. for, right? Um, fix it again, Tony. Okay. Yeah. Sort of like Ford. Right. Fix, it came fix from Turin, Italy, Linda. That's where they make Fiat's. <laughs> so I, I have a question. Did you see the symbolism with him getting bit by the dog and having to limp through the entire movie? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because right, it's just like he's like limping through yeah. life. Well, yeah. that that that's sort of the one of that the that comes full circle with one of the lines later too. And Robert yeah. Downey Jr. reads that one, even though it's technically from James, because it's a piece that James was writing about Grady. Because as the the movie finally does start to come full circle, Robert Downey Jr. sneaks a peek at Tobey Maguire's typewriter, and he says. He limped into the room like a limping prize fighter, beaten. Yes. And uh, it ends with just one of the most poignant lines where it's like, his heart beat now, uh, his heart once so capable of inspiring others couldn't even inspire so much as itself. It beat now only out of habit. It That's beat right. now only right. because it could. Well, and it's it's an incredibly poignant movie while being hysterical at the same time. It has a perfect balance. Yeah, it really does. And his... his um, Going back to the subtlety angle, mm-hmm. the fact that he is a wreck, you know, you, you, at the end of the movie, it's very clear. He's a right. wreck. Yeah. He's a complete wreck. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. But it's not something that you get hit over the head with right away. As you hang out with Grady, uh, what's his last name? Trip. 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 As you yeah. hang out with him, you realize how broken he is oh absolutely you know but it but it's not something that like you know the first scene of the movie he's not passed out on the floor drunk or something like that you know um so it's it's like real life that's how you find out actual people are like that you get to know them and you realize oh 
Well, and the thing is, it's not even really his substance abuse that puts him on the floor. He has, it's this existential dilemma that he's going through because he calls them episodes, but... Spells. I like to call them spells. James calls them spells. Uh, And he's like, Christ, James, I'm not in a Tennessee Williams play. I don't get spells. But he does have, and he was like, what would you call them? Uh, Episodes. Episodes. So, yeah, Tripp just has these problems where he just occasionally gets dizzy, gets the vapors, and just falls right over. Well, and he has has a little David Lynch moment whenever this happens. Oh, absolutely, which I love. Yeah. The light coming up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? And there's Francis McDormand. Yeah. So he does have these fainting episodes, and uh, we missed a a pretty great moment where Rip Torn, you see just how pompous and full of himself that he is. Q, call me Q. Hey, he's in charge of the men in black, and he's got a right to be pompous. I mean, he has no right to be pompous. We're not hosting an intergalactic kegger here. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, there's a moment where Q, he's giving a speech, and... uh, he pontificates about piloting the boat of inspiration oh, so, to the shore so. of achievement. And James just gives out this cackle and they're in this huge hall and it echoes everywhere and just brings the the talk to a screeching halt. Everyone just turns and looks at him and then he just goes back to speaking. But yep. uh, that's when Grady has his episode and Sarah has already lost her patience with him because she, like I said, she doesn't really get upset over the fact that they're having an affair. Like she, she accepts the reality of who Grady is and what they're doing together as a couple. But what upsets her is his, is his lack of decision-making. Like she's, she knows what she's going to do. She's like, I, I'm not going to have this baby. But so she falters a little bit, but then she's the one who really decides to keep it. And well, it's it's part of her test of, of, uh, of trip. Well, right. and plus, yeah. like, she even tells him, she's like, I'm not going to draw you a map, Grady. Times like these, you got to do your yeah. own navigating. And yeah. she, so she makes it very clear that whatever her decision is, it's going to be her decision and to spark some sort of decision from him. But, and it ultimately works. It's just that she has to play the, the long game with him, basically. She's yeah. got to lead the horse to water. Well, she has that late 90s strong woman, you know. We're lovers. If you find that shocking, so, so be, be it. it. <laughs> kind of, kind of vibe Michael going on. Michael Gray. <laughs> oh, that's in this movie. Uh, <laughs> this movie needs TV's yeah. Michael Gray. He, he could, in fact, he could be the transvestite. It, Ooh. Oh, I was going to say James. Yeah, <laughs> he's too old to be James. Yeah, that's now. true. Uh, no, we don't. We don't have to go with maybe age. Not, right? That's true. That yeah, that's a good point. Shazam. That was twenty years Shazam. ago. TV's Michael Gray. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, so we've we've pretty much covered the basis of it. You've got, and what's cool about these characters is they cover every walk of life damn near in the literary yes. world as far as success and lack of success. So you have the Gaskells who run the university and they run a department. They're successful in the literary world. And even though she's the chancellor of the university, Michael Douglas has this line about how she is a junkie for the written word and lucky for me, I manufacture her drug of choice. Yes. So everybody's very immersed in the literary world he's a professor and that you know he's a tenured professor you come to find but that's pretty much the only thing keeping his job you know as his job and then you have crabtree who's kind of faltering in his own career through no fault of his own yeah and michael douglas is about in his 50s Uh, crabtree's about in his 30s i I think it is crabtree's fault a little bit well he puts too many eggs in the grady basket he needs to have other clients that he relies on because he it's like you said, they have such a personal friendship that he just thought Grady was going to be his gravy train, Yeah, I suppose, because the first book was such a critical it, success. Is it friendship? It's like, um, 
I think that's an open question. Dysfunctional yeah. symbiosis. <laughs> I, well, I mean, it could be. It could be friendship. Well, friendship takes many forms. It does. Okay. Right. I mean, just look yeah. at these three idiots in yeah, this studio. I know. So. We're a group of oddballs. That was a guy? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I'm sorry. Tony just took his way off. That just took me out of the movie. Oh, my God. I got to go home to mom and dad. Oh, my God. Well, and th- another thing Ebert does point out is how there's so much emotional payoff in this movie. It's more honest that way because when Crabtree hooks up with the transvestite, it's clearly to have sex. And he does have sex with Tony. He uses him and just moves on right, because right. he immediately moves on to James when James has that huge monologue about all the famous movie suicides. Yes. Which, uh, who was it? Alan Ludd? Who Alan Ladd? Ladd. Alan Ladd. Uh, they, he was in the original monologue, and they had to change it in post because uh, Alan Ladd's family sued, saying that he Ooh. was deemed uh, accidental death or something. Um. It wasn't considered a suicide. So they had to take that out in post. Come and on, it's guys. Not, nobody cares. It's not in uh, the three. Uh, it wasn't in the theatrical version, and uh, they had to take it out of the DVDs, VHS, like all that. So they removed it. I was more sad about George Saunders' death. Yeah. 1972. Do you know who, what role George Saunders played in the Batman series? Do tell. Mr. Freeze. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, it talks about Pierre Angeli, Donald Redberry, Charles uh, Boyer, Charles Butterworth. And he's like, this guy pills, this person pills, this person a lot of pills. Like, And he just, <laughs> it's like a, a one and a half minute monologue of him just straight naming the people who committed suicide and how they did it. Well, uh, and one of them writing his own suicide note on his stomach in lipstick. <laughs> It's it's pretty dark, and it all comes from one book. There's one Hollywood oh is history, that right? yeah oh, that that he lived. Yeah, I there's a book it. that lists it just like that. But uh, now we we do need to take a break. Okay, let's be sure to let's pause it though because we yeah. got we got to talk about this yes. game. That's well, yeah, because we're movie. yeah because we're in the scene where where Rip Torn you know remembers why he loves, make... he loves being an actor. Yeah, because it's the only way somebody like Katie Holmes will touch him. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, but we will we will be back in about one second. Thereabouts. And we're back. Uh, it's good to be back. <laughs> wow. So we were just discussing uh, extracurriculars. Activities so. with pickles. <laughs> Pickle Rick. And hiding them. Ooh, I was trying to keep that hidden. So we are continuing. <laughs> <laughs> we are continuing to watch. Wonder um, Boys. Scent yeah. of an Emperor's Club. Um, <laughs> Scent of an Emperor Dead Poet Society. <laughs> You guys got to go see the Ghostbusters movie. We are. Well, okay. Let's go see it together. We'll I'm see serious. It together with I'm the in. Children. It's, just, it's a theme in this episode. The, keep, the adults you know. will sit in their own section and have adult drinks, and the kids can just be cool and sit anywhere. Yeah, and they got to pay we... for their own drinks. <laughs> exactly. They got to run their own tab. Yeah. But, <laughs> but so, I, I love this scene when they're together because it's like three generations. Yes. In yes. that booth. So you've you got, got, you know, the young, James, Crabtree, and, and Grady. And I must say, I can relate to all of them at different phases in my life, which I mentioned before. Surely not. You haven't reached your 50s yet. No, I have not. But I relate I to do, Ula. When I... <laughs> <laughs> so let's explain Somebody that. Somebody relates to Ula, that's <laughs> so, for sure. Crabtree, She's got a belly. Uh, Crabtree first make uh, mer- he makes Tony jealous by inviting James up to this place on the hill. I always get tripped to take me, and it's a bar where they're hanging out. And the waitress's name is Ula, and she delivers Grady his double dickle on the rocks. And the guys, <laughs> I think, uh, <laughs> hide the dickle. <laughs> George, George dickle. I think. Um, you guys and I would be really good at this game that Crabtree oh, and yeah. Grady play oh, where that would be fun. he's yes. sipping his whiskey and he's just like, oh my God, do you see what I see? And there's this uh, African-American gentleman in the corner and they start t- saying like, 
president of the James Brown Club, uh, James Brown Hair Club for Men. He uh, like he's it. a flyweight. No, he's a jockey and is uh, like he's addicted to pain pills. He can't even pee standing up anymore. Like they're making up his whole backstory. And the problem here is that before they started playing this game, Crabtree finds out that James has a book of his own that he's written. Right. And he's asking Grady if James is a good writer. And Grady says no, that he's got a gift, but that he's not quite there yet. And but while they're playing the game, because they think James has passed out from an earlier dose of codeine and whiskey that he spits up on trip in the parking lot and then uh, ingests it later. So they think he's completely passed out. But then he jumps in on their game and says, oh, yeah, Vernon was killed when a gangster named Freddie Nostrils killed his favorite horse since he's a jockey. And his mother blames uh, Claudel, his brother, for Vernon's death because Claudel was in on the hit on the horse. And they're like, it's just, that, it's brilliant. Like, well, yeah, and that's sort I of the, it. yeah, y- you could be forgiven for saying that the movie is about James's, you know, becoming the author that he evidently has the talent to be. Well, from James's perspective, it is. But from Grady's perspective, it isn't. And neither, it's not. Well, bananas. I, Everybody's got a different story going Yeah, on. I, I would say that uh, that Lear is the antagonist. James Lear, yeah. Because he really doesn't change. No, no he doesn't. No, he no. actually just uh, becomes even more self-indulgent in his personality. Yeah. But uh, Goes the, to New York to the, get his book ready for publication. That's yeah, because right. he gets a, a free pass like for all this bad behavior, killing the Chancellor's dog and all this stuff, uh, stealing the jacket, which we haven't brought up yet. But uh, going back to the game they were playing, the importance of that was that Grady realizes that James heard him say that he's not a good writer. And so he feels badly about that. Uh, but Ula, the waitress, she's uh, she's a bit of payoff later. She comes back into the yes. story unexpectedly. Yes. Because at the Gaskell's house, you find out that James, after that big monologue with all of the dead celebrities, he's a huge fan of old movies. And that comes up several times throughout this film to the point where Grady's like, hey, I want to show you something. And takes him up to the Gaskell's bedroom, opens the safe, and they see the jacket that Marilyn Monroe wore on her wedding day to Arthur Miller. No. Yeah. Joe DiMaggio. Joe oh, DiMaggio. that's right, because Gaskell's writing a book about right. Yeah, well, you she not, was married you, to Arthur Miller at some point, yes. wasn't yeah, she? Yeah, she was oh, okay. married yeah. to many people. Yeah. But you didn't see the picture. Do you not recognize Joe DiMaggio from his picture? No, I did. Child, Jolton Joe. No, I'm I'm messing with you now. <laughs> but but one thing I just want to bring up: it, this movie is so well put together. Every single event <laughs> has an effect, right? A yes. serious effect later in the film. Oh, it's all payoff. It's yeah, it, yeah. And set it, up and payoff. It's all it's beautiful, all. subtle, and it's tied up in a beautiful bow at the end. Very, very subtle. I mean, yeah. without being even, shoehorned, like yeah. it's, right. it's that delicious no. and subtle. Oh my god, it was so subtle. I think everybody's performance can really sort of be described as subtle. Katie, Katie Holmes, it's subtle and uh, perky. Uh-huh. Say. <laughs> uh, at the same Doubly time, she, she, yeah, yeah. She, she she pulls that off. You know, she, she rides does. that Especially line, not, even without wearing a bra. At oh, some how, points. I did not even notice. Oh, of course, you did. <laughs> <laughs> God. Uh, I wonder if those ones are real. But anyway, <laughs> they were. Yes, I said. Yeah, at least at the time they were. Right. Yeah. Perhaps oh, not now, because she is forty-one. She's old. I love that you know exactly how old she is. <laughs> I was really wow. I didn't know she was. Ex- oh, I looked her up. I read everything about her. I I was like James Lear. Oh, I leered at her. Anyway, proceed, no. gang. Proceed. Um. Yeah. So there's a ton of payoff, and the payoff with the Marilyn Monroe thing is you don't really understand why Doctor Gaskell has all of this memorabilia, but then you really start to see that it's Joe DiMaggio, Marilyn Monroe specific, because he's writing a book about them as a married couple, which is actually some payoff and some 
in and very helpful to James at the end because Crabtree, in order to get James out of uh, trouble with the police and to keep Gaskell from pressing charges against uh, for shooting his dog and stealing his memorabilia, Crabtree's like, oh, I'll publish that book too. Why not? And Gaskell gets kind of a dig at his wife because he decides that he's going to title the book after he discovers Sarah's affair with Grady. He's like, I've decided to entitle it The Last American Marriage. Uh, <laughs> and it's just... Which which the the reaction shot from Francis McDormand when he says amazing. that. She yeah. was just like, you know what? Fuck yeah. You. But, but, right, well, fine. yeah, but <laughs> no, no, there's a little electric shock. Yeah. And then it's that, but well, it's a very just, you know, like. Well, I don't even think that it's shock. Like, oh my God, I can't believe you. Like, it, she doesn't even get her feelings hurt by it. I think she was impressed that he finally showed some damn personality. Because um, I'm not going to go with you on that one. Okay. But, but, but it, it, it could care. be, it could be. See if I care. I don't care. But yeah, that was his last, cause he's, he pays her no mind and he never really seems to realize that. And he's the one who's hurt because he's the one who got cheated on. I get that. But he's, you know, if he hasn't. Cuckold, if he would, I believe is. <laughs> he was cuckolded. <laughs> Speaking very of true. English terms, uh, this movie <laughs> has a very special English actor in it. Boy, does it ever. Who is it, gentlemen? Alan Tudyk? Yes. I love him. He's he amazing. amazing. Even he, in this role, it's a small role, but it's you know it's it's critical. It's a oh, decent yeah. role for what it is. Yeah. And uh, so he's the janitor at, uh, I guess, the one janitor. The, is he also <laughs> a student? Huh? Is he also a student? I don't know why I got that vibe. No. Okay. If he is, it's never indicated. Uh, he's but he's the janitorial staff, and uh, so Trip goes back to the university because when James got high, he left his knapsack at the hall where they had the Word Fest kickoff, and so Trip goes to recover it, and Traxler, the janitor, lets him in and has to give him a ride home. And what's the conversation that they had on the way to take Grady home, Mr. Brown? Because I thought you in particular would appreciate this This, this, this reference. This right here? Yes. Oh, about Errol <laughs> Flynn, yes, yes. Because I know your love for Errol Flynn. Of course, of course. Well, they, they talk about Errol Flynn, which in like Flynn, you know, and then in like Flint, you know, with James Coburn, which the movies, but he, he was known for his sexual prowess. And Alan Tudyk asked, you know, did he... Did he like spread something? Oh yeah, paprika. Paprika. Yeah, he put paprika on lamb chops. You know, hot sauce. He, you he know, asked if he on uh, his dick. Yeah, that is. to make it you know more stimulating yeah, yeah. for the chicken. Great, because uh, Grady's like, why are you asking me about this? He goes, aren't you reading his autobiography? And he's, oh yeah, of <laughs> course. He used to rub all sorts of things on it: uh, ground lamb, salad dressing. <laughs> he's like, damn. He's like sick. <laughs> How but bad it, must you be at sex to think I'll put paprika on my dick and maybe she'll like it more? Yeah. You have know, to be pretty of bad. Because of all the spices, gentlemen, that's <laughs> yeah, not yeah, the yeah. right one. <laughs> yeah. Which is the right? This we is know, valuable consumer it's information. Not a spice. <laughs> he was seasoning it. Okay. Yes. It's dignified. Donate to our our website and I might release that information. <laughs> well, you have to realize as a, Human. as a famous actor, you get all this. <laughs> Well, when fall hits, it's all about the pumpkin spice. But you get all the sex you want, so you got to take it to the next level. Right, Right, yeah. So Errol Flynn did all kinds of crazy stuff. Did he ever bite a lemon? You'll have to ask. That might not have been a thing back then, you know? Who knows? I mean... Maybe David Carradine invented it. I mean, Woodhouse's uh, friend, he was doing it back in the First World War, so... Reggie! (laughs) 
But, to, but, later but he never on, drinks water because there's fish in it. I have two it. questions. No, because fish fuck in it. Oh, yeah. That's is that why. what it is? I've never heard the uncensored version. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's why it, you don't drink water. Yeah, that's uh, in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Uh, Marcus Brody says, no, thank you. Fish make love in it. I yeah. knew that, but yeah. like the way that it censored, it sounded like there was a T on the no, end of the word instead of a K sound. in it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I thought it was fish shit in it. No. I mean, either way, it's bad, but it's like, oh my God. Okay, Depends on your kink, you. I guess, right? Yeah. Oh. Ugh. Mm-hmm. Ew. 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 Dookie right, sticks. Gotta, gotta throw something in there. <laughs> He's a fecophiliac. Oh. <laughs> but it's gotta be a certain quality. Uh, yeah. So... so the Jim has stolen the coat. Yes, which it, which ends up being sort of a Maryland's MacGuffin because it really doesn't matter that he stole the coat. Well, well I it, think it does. It would well, have mattered because... if Crabtree hadn't have decided to publish Gaskell's okay, book. Yeah, okay. Because James would have gone to prison and been been expelled. But how it works out since Crabtree swoops in and rescues him is that Gaskell a doesn't press charges and doesn't expel James but that's why I was saying he get James becomes more self-indulgent cuz well he quit anyway to go to New York and work on his book. Yeah. It's like he got a second chance at life and basically said f you to the people who were handing it to him. Yeah. Which I mean, you know, well, fo- follow your life young, follow right? your I, path but still. See, I actually liked that because if this was a different movie like Dead Poet Society, James <laughs> wouldn't have he would have decided that no, he didn't want to be a commercial writer, and he's not. You know, his book is perfect, and he. I won't... want to stay in school so I can be a professor, just like you, Trip. Yeah, like, it, yeah, yeah something right. like that. Whereas you're in this right. one, he wrote a book. It's very good. A publisher wants to publish it. The love he's parade. going to go do that. Right. Am I the only you one know? that wants to read that book? Desperately? I don't. I wish I it absolutely was a real book. don't want to. <laughs> no, I would totally read it. But why don't you want to read it? I just he's he's busy man. Yeah, I don't very know. Busy man. It sound it 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 sounds like just one of those kind of books that is a bit too self indulgent for my taste. Well, that's the type of author that he is. So. I know, I know. I'm not. I don't think I would be a huge James Lear fan. I don't know. I think I might because one of the other insightful things that Katie Holmes says in the beginning, because she's one of his few friends, and she defends him against his other classmates who are overly critical of him in workshop, and she's like, "I think maybe we're missing the point of his story." He respects us enough as his audience to forget us, and that takes courage. And that's true. So there is a level of self-indulgence that's required for you to build a world and really believe that it's worth reading about. So I don't know. that I think there's a necessary amount of self-indulgence to being a good writer, but oh, yeah, you can I be agree. overly self-indulgent for yeah. sure. Yeah. Well, it's like anything creative, you know. I mean, you've got your idea of what it's supposed to be, and you're... And you have to believe in it. Yeah. If you don't believe in it, you're not going to continue to pursue it. You're going to take that job in healthcare information technology and just live out the rest of your days. You wind you know? up on a crummy podcast <laughs> in, in a public theater or a small town theater. Because, <laughs> what is it that he who cannot do teaches you? That's, uh, anyway. That is literally going to be us. Speaking of which, we have a series of workshops coming up yeah. soon. Yeah. One, nice of which, uh, one of which is for podcasting. Yes, podcasting. They're going to be good. I'm self-indulgent enough to at least tell you that. And we're teaching and acting. Yes, yes for, we are. for people in the Beatrice greater... Benedict, together again. Yes, in the greater North Fulton uh, the area. Great, the greater Sydney area. So yes. If you're from Sydney, yeah, if you're Australia, from Sydney, yeah. come on down. I wonder uh, if any of your children will be participating in these workshops 
<laughs> we might not be cool enough for them. No. Oh, my, my kid has no interest whatsoever, so I'm, I'm good there. That's fun. Um, no, we will be teaching a series of workshops yes, uh, starting in March, running through May-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, we will be, well, my co-hosts will be teaching a workshop, a seven-week uh, intensive not really. Uh, workshop on stage acting. So if yes, you would, would like, if you would like to be taught how to act, come on down. Uh, I will be teaching a workshop in podcasting, and uh, my wife Elaine will be teaching musical theater. They're going to be doing the uh, youth version of Sound of Music. Ooh, it's all available. Yes. Go to citycenterplayers.com. See. Uh-huh. That's, that. that's a beautiful yeah. thing about yeah. a theater degree. You may not know how to solve a math problem, but you will know how to solve a problem like Maria. That's true. With extreme prejudice. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, that was a bad joke that yeah. I stole. Sorry, <laughs> life setters. Uh, so anyhow, we find ourselves at Tripp's house, which I would totally live in this house. Would you guys? Oh, yeah. Oh, my it's God. So it's absolutely. Yes, absolutely. We, we have lived in houses like that, haven't we, Jason? Yeah. Yeah, mine, mine, mine weren't quite as neat. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mine had more things falling slightly. And yours were you know. haunted with that pentagrams and like other crazy shit. That is, and yet we still moved in. Yeah, because that was college. What, the, the first red flag, <laughs> hindsighters here with this story, is that they had to break into the house despite the yeah. fact that they were issued a key. Well, we had to break in, and but. To be honest, before we discovered the pentagram, we found the bullet hole in, in the uh, window. In so, the window. like forty so. red flags in the first ten minutes. <laughs> Not even a walkthrough. Oh, I want to. I want to address. By the way, this is, I think, a very important decision okay. that the director made. Yes. The first time the police do get involved because uh, we have a a, a, dead, a dead dog, dog stolen yeah. Maryland's jacket, like thirty thousand dollars of movie memorabilia. Right, right. You know, a very expensive thing. When the police officer arrives, we see. A point of view, we see Tripp's point of view looking through the window. We see the police car pull up. Mm-hmm. Cop gets out. And forgets to put the car in park. Yeah, and it was it was so well done that when I was watching it, I thought, they forgot to put the car in park. Yeah. Oh, wait, no, that's supposed to happen. It's, yeah. it's scripted. Oh, I'm not supposed to take this officer seriously. Exactly. Right. Because Thank you for communicating that writer and director. Gentle. Yeah, because uh, Grady calls him a couple of different hateful nicknames. He calls him like the puberty, yeah, police, the puberty police and Officer Pupchick and like, <laughs> he's like, oh yeah, this like 12-year-old police officer comes to my house asking me where James Lear is and Grady defends James. He doesn't hand him over, which he kind of probably should. He doesn't in the end. No, he has to because they yeah. they know that he's there. I mean, yeah, the jig right. is up. It's not like Grady can hide him anymore. So uh, James actually finds Grady now that he's now that they're both awake because James is viciously hungover, as we come to find later in the movie from uh, his. Or is he? You gotta wonder. Or is he faking that? Well, and then he stays stoned with Grady almost the entire time that they're yeah. together. So it's they're both laced on something the entire time. But James, uh, Grady has another episode at his typewriter, and you see just how enormous the book is. And he's he's like, people think I'm suffering from writer's block. I'm not. But I can't. The ending, no matter what I did, it kept getting further away. But it was there. I could almost see it. And. Uh, so everybody's really surprised when they find out that he's been writing this entire time. They think that he just has lost his gift, which he hasn't. But uh, Grady has an episode and wakes up on the floor 
and he's like, and he's trying to cover his tracks kind of poorly. He's like, oh, James, don't worry. I just fell down. And James is like, dude, I put you on the floor. Right, like, come right. on, quit, quit lying to yourself. So, but I love when he said that, you know, the, the book was like between 250 and 300 pages and he types two, six, one. And then type adds one, another one. <laughs> Two thousand six hundred eleven pages it had become a little larger in scope. <laughs> yes, yeah, so. and it's amazing to think that even still at this point in movie was shot in what ninety nine, right, right, that you still had authors who were typing on individual sheets of paper, right, and setting themselves up for the possibility that I don't know maybe a breeze could blow all of those papers away well, and you lose the book forever. Well, and he finds himself in an impossible arena, but we can get back to that later because uh, Crabtree has a theory on why all of these crazy antics have taken place. But uh, that's sort of a symbolic thing in and of itself that he's still writing on a typewriter when he could so easily acquire a computer. That's part of his transition in the end because don't you notice that he's writing yeah, on a laptop? and he saves it. Yeah, exactly, because yeah. uh, they make a big deal. So we're we're not going terribly long with this episode because we've all agreed, Hindsiders, that there's no contention because this movie's fantastic. It's wonderful, yeah. yeah. Oh, wait, I don't want to speak for you guys. I'll it's let you say great. it out loud on your own. No, that's don't fine. You I don't speak care. for me. <laughs> it was great, just like she said. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm going to slap you so hard. Yeah, <laughs> but, and, and it's it's a genre of movie that we don't see. It's not just a question of, oh, they don't make good movies anymore. They it's, do. It's character-driven in, instead of relying too heavily on the plot. Well, we were we were talking a little bit before the show about how there was a time when New York theater was the source of everything good that was a TV show or a movie. And this feels like something that I would go see on a Saturday night at a theater and watch people perform on stage. Oh, 100%. Ooh, there's your adaptation. What? We could do this. Oh, uh, <laughs> God, how much does that cost? Yeah. I don't yeah, know. That would yeah. be tough. I'd rather See, just steal someone else's. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This will have to become a lost episode. <laughs> <laughs> It'll go in the vault. Yeah. No, but I... So now Grady, he he kind of half-assed tries to solve his problems throughout the weekend. So yeah. he's got he's still got Poe dead in the trunk. He's still got the stolen jacket. He's still got James with him. But he drops off a little thinking of you balloon with Sarah. And he's like, we need to talk. And she finally sort of expects some sort of decision out of him. And all he says is that he wants to be with her. And she's like, gee, yeah, Grady, how heartfelt. Yeah, yeah, she can nebulous. she can sense his indecision, and she's uh, I don't think she's one of those women who just pontificates about being strong. She actually is. She's like, listen, I'm doing this with or without you. Get over it. And you know, if you can't navigate, then it's just not good enough for me. Sorry. Yeah, she's comfortable being alone. Yeah, she's comfortable either having the child or not by herself. Yeah, she's one of those people. Like, I think she rapidly becomes one of those people that she keeps you around if you improve upon the silence. Well, I, I think that she would, logically, she would want to be with him, but only if he actually was willing to do that committing in his mind. Right. And ultimately, that's his whole character, is a coward. A floater. Yeah. He just floats along. Yeah, becoming someone... He's a nomad. Yeah, becoming someone who says, no, I will, I will assert and I will you know, shape my own life, and then he's rewarded. That's actually the ending of the movie. It is. And right. is, is surprising to me. 
Well, and Sarah, I love the little jab she takes at him at some points because she sees James sitting in Grady's car and she's like, isn't that James Lear? What's he doing in your car just sitting up there? And he's like, oh, he's having some problems and I'm helping him through them. And she's like, gee, isn't he lucky? <laughs> like, and just walks away. Well, you know, he is he's notoriously noncommittal. Yeah. And I think. Except to things that don't deserve his commitment. Like James doesn't. Yeah. But if, I'm talking about to, his, to the relationship with Sarah. Yes. yes. You yeah. know, women, uh, you know, you can, yes, you can do, validate do that. Tell. Women mm-hmm. will love you for a certain period of time. And then there is a decision point that needs to be made. And if you don't make that, they will move on. Oh, yeah. And that is the, the pregnancy. They were able to limp along because they were both married. They were having extramarital affairs. Now she's pregnant. It's driving a decision. Yeah. yeah. And he is being nebulous. And the way that the movie leads you to believe, which I love, you think she's moved on. I mean, you think that she's okay. She's going to get the abortion. She's going to stay with her husband and she's, she's done with it. Yeah. Right. But then there's a little twist. At the yeah. End, and she's very nice. Yeah. And it's, I won't it, tell you. Yeah. And watch the movie. Well, we're going to get no, to no, it. No, <laughs> okay, okay. No, but it is true because he's he, he avoids decisions. Like and, plague. Yeah. And she knows him well enough right. to know if I do this, he's either going to finally make a decision or he's not, and I'm done. That's right. I'm out. You know? Yep. Um, great character. Fantastic character. They all are. And... I just love the random bits of texture throughout the movie that don't even need a payoff, like Grady's pink robe, for instance. Yeah. When James finds him, uh, he just sort of gives him a funny look, finding his, you know, uh, mature male professor in a lady's bathrobe, and he's like, oh, you must miss her really bad, huh? And he goes, oh, no, this is my robe. It wasn't Emily's. It didn't belong to her. And he goes, I guess there's probably a story behind that. And he's like... No, there really. is, but there's no. there no. is, but it's not very interesting. Right. And then James turns that around on him later. Where I can't remember the moment, but Grady's like, I guess there's a story there. And James goes, there is, but it's not very interesting. So there's just a little bit of payoff for that moment, but you never understand where the robe came from. Well, that's like, the, yeah, that's that, just the little bits of I know random, writing, random it's texture. So, it's I love so it. Friendly. It's just yeah, it's like biting into something, and there's. And, and correct Richness me if I'm wrong, it. but, but it's I, a parfait. It's got yeah. layers. <laughs> I, I think if he has written his entire life with an electric IBM typewriter, it would be hard for him to make a transition to computer. Yeah, and I noticed that James was types, it difficult for you, Mister Brown? <laughs> if I could ever write anything, yes, yeah, so it might have been difficult. But I'm an actor. Anyway, that that was my impression. That was my impression because. You know, it's tough to make that transition because it's a different keyboard. It's a different sound. Mm-hmm. And and there's a certain amount of superstition that has to go with being a writer. Well, and also, let's not forget that in 1999, the laptops were basically shit. Yeah. That's yeah. true. Which and, I'm surprised he had a laptop. And there's a certain nostalgia factor to it as well. I mean, it, when I was in college, I hated the transition from uh, phones with buttons to phones with just the touchscreens because my mom once asked me why it was suddenly illegal to text in your car when people had been texting for over a decade. And I said, well, because of this. And I hid my, ho- my phone behind my back and I typed out a text to her and she was like, what? And looks at it and she goes, did you just type that without looking at it? I said, yeah. When I had buttons on my phone, I could sit in class. I could be paying attention to the professor, but I had the keyboard memorized and how right, many times right. I had to press each button to get a certain letter or punctuation mark. 
you can't do that with touchscreens. So now people are driving, doing this and staring down when they should be looking at the road and there are more fatalities and accidents in general. And she was like, oh, that makes sense. I was like, so going back to your argument about the keyboard is that I'm particular about the type of keyboard that I have even on my uh, desktop. I love my desktop keyboard. I hate my laptop keyboard. It's too smooth and there's not enough indention or differentiation between the buttons. I don't like it. So... I think there's just nostalgia to it because back in the 90s when we got our first shared desktop, it was it was kind of like clacking on a typewriter because the keys were so stiff. Well, I actually have a mechanical keyboard specifically because it feels every button is an individual mechanical button. Yeah, uh-huh. like a um, click. Yeah, click. and it, it just it feels so much better. See, that I would like. It. The only aspect of your keyboard that would drive me banana sandwich is the fact that it lights up when well, you, you can touch turn that it. Off. Yeah, but yeah. the people who keep it on, I, what's the purpose of it? The lights? There's no purpose. Just aesthetic? There's, yeah, just, there's yeah, no just psychological? Yeah. Okay. It's it would part drive of the me game. to distraction. It, look, I, I, I just rebuilt a computer. And, ooh, 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 la la. Ooh, I'm leaving now. It's pretty easy. Geek Barbadurkel. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, funny story. So I'm going to buy some RAM because one of the, uh, one of the, the, the dims went out on, on the the machine I had, uh, it was acting up. So I bought some RAM. It was some old, it was some 2120 RAM. Those are Uh, just numbers to me. And and the problem is that I realized that it was actually the motherboard that was broken. So I had to get a new motherboard. Okay, got it. Which meant I had to get a new processor, Uh, new ATX case, you know, power, you know, PSU, all that stuff. Reaction. But (laughs) every single component that I bought... Like, if you uh-huh. don't want it to have lights, you have to pay more. <sighs> Kids That's love the lights. bullshit. You should love say, the and the lights. case, literally, all the cases you get nowadays have have glass on, on one side. God. So my, my keyboard, or my computer, when it's on, will light up an entire room. It's got probably 30 LEDs in it. Every mm. fan has 10 or 20 LEDs in it. And when one goes out... They all go out. Come on, no. Russ. Let's go check no, the lights. No, no, they don't. They don't. I'm that's joking. <laughs> it's a joke, son. It's a joke. So they are in yes. his wife's house. who just his, left him. The yeah. parents' house, and and they're watching a, a black and white film. Do you know the actor who's in that? Judy Garland. It's um, no, the earlier one. The oh. English actor. Well, it's Mickey Rooney. That's Mickey Rooney yeah. and Judy Garland. But there was a, another scene before that. It was George Saunders. Oh, oh. yeah, because they're doing picture of Dorian Gray. Yes. The whole point of. Uh, life is, or a whole point of a temptation wait, wait, is to yield to it wait you mean phantom of the paradise no in that, that <laughs> no i'm kidding oh, okay because phantom of the paradise was you know dorian gray so yes of course, <laughs> of course. <laughs> bird person really yeah, they were so person. nice to these people who break broke and entered their house i know it is their son-in-law but you you have to imagine that there's there would be even more contention between the father and grady because they're well, they're pretty close in age his daughter is i would say roughly half grady's age and then he it's clearly his fault that they're separated like he wasn't I don't know. What does the dad say? Emily felt like you weren't there for her. And like Grady can't even remember the names of her friends that have like stayed in his house. Like he's, he's not been an attentive husband. Unlike Sarah, Sarah's at least 
present in her marriage from what you can see she's at least dutiful well I don't her know husband that... is kind of a dick he's aloof no, yeah. He, yeah i i yeah. agree he's like, a loofah i i think they're all phoning it in and emily's the one that kind of got shortchanged because she uh she's the one who made the first active decision she was like my husband's lighting. not living up to a standard of which i'd like to be treated so i left like and she's the one the the one character you never see is the one who makes the firm decision well the the parents um his wife's parents, uh, dad in particular, uh, they're so waspy. Oh, oh yeah. big time. Oh, they're they're yeah. that waspy where it's like, I'm not going to yell at you. I'm just disappointed. Trip. You know, I'm just going, you know, oh, I'm going to be civil implied. Uh, well, where is she? I don't think I should tell you that. Yeah. You know. Grill me a cheese. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but meanwhile, this lovely little moment, uh, and you, d- this wasn't even necessary because there's not really a ton of suspense. You'd think that Poe would be a bigger plot point than he really ends up being, but Poe is Oh, no, he's a the- MacGuffin. Yeah, yeah. He's in the, the back. The whole movie's MacGuffins. Yeah, it's it just, exactly. That's the perfect word for yeah. it. So Poe is in the back of the trunk, and at any given moment, like, especially with smoking dope in a car that you're driving, like, come on, they could get pulled over. Imagine the search. smell. Oh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It must reek in there. But uh, when they're at the parents' house, their Newfoundland is sniffing around and whining because it can tell that there's another dead, de- <laughs> there's a dead dog a in the dead trunk. dead dog in the trunk. Oh, God. Yeah, there's and all those little subtleties are so perfect. And like and the lighting. I, I, oh, the lighting is it's 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 that lighting yeah. that is very beautiful and very perfectly done so much so that you don't notice it. Right. But well, then it, but then you see and you look at that beautiful side light. Oh yeah. It was with, like noir almost. A turn of the face together. is it takes a turn of the face for you to even tell that there's a difference in well, the light you, from one side to the it, next. In that particular scene you see Grady driving in the car over a bridge. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. Before, before with, with the, the parents. Yeah. Oh. Because Grady has this very distinct, you know, line, and you yeah, know, one side is lighter, the other side yeah. is darker. Yeah. And, and it, when they cut to the reverse, I mean, you you see the dad, you can tell he has light on that side of his face, but it's nowhere near as stark. It's distinct. No. You know, and it's yeah. just it's little decisions. Yeah, right. you know, little artistic touches that are just and, it's beautiful. And we won't get to it, but the, but the one that I, I really liked too was when he was in the car at the very end, and the sun hits the light, uh, the the weapon that he has in his hand, the nickel, and it reflects off of his yeah. face. That was cool. Yeah, that was super cool. I mean, he someone had to think of that. Oh yeah, exactly. Put it in. Yeah, sitting and looking at storyboards. Yeah, and going, yeah. okay, well, let's try it this way. Right. You know. Right. And uh, we're about to run into a familiar actress, gentlemen. Did anybody recognize who played James's mother? Oh, the mom from uh, Gilmore Girls. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Kelly Bishop. Well Kelly Bishop. Well That's it. Yeah. Also known as Baby's mother. Yeah. Because nobody puts James Lear in a corner. Ooh. She just puts him in a basement with the cask of Amontillado. I, I do have to admit, I had to look that up because what? Um, who the actress was? Yeah. Because I it was like. Her. I know, I, could, I know her because she's only in the movie it. for I, like two yeah. seconds. But I should have known though. Uh, but yeah, it's Kelly Bishop. And so all this time, uh, the myriad of lies that James has been telling, he's painting a picture that he's homeless. He's living out of a bus station that he eats these moldy cheese sandwiches from the vending machine. And uh, then when you come to find his dad is not dying uh, of glaucoma, colon uh, cancer, colon, colon cancer. cancer. Oh, but he he smokes a weed for his glaucoma. Sorry. Uh and his mother used to be a dancer. Oh, really? What kind of dancer? Any kind they wanted her to be. It's just this tragic thing. At a Catholic and, school, when you fall, you fall hard. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And, Catholic school. Catholic girl. And even when they're in the grocery store earlier in the day, uh, Grady's like, James is 
life was like the stuff of bad fiction. And, like, and he knows that there's something wrong, but he's so addled on pot and distracted by his own problems that he any other adult would pick up on this bullshit immediately well, and just be like, come on, kid, where the I, fuck do you live? Like, I don't know, though, because, I mean, he has no reason to suspect he's lying. I don't know, you know the fact that he was out. I would be suspicious of him from the jump because he's at a stranger's house. I mean, I know he knows who the Gaskells are, but he's out in their yard at a party that he wasn't even strictly invited to, mm. twirling a gun. So oh, we've I don't all know. Done be, that. Yeah. Come on, <laughs> come on. Yeah. That's, it's not a big deal. youthful uh, indiscretion. I'm just an uppity woman. Yeah. I get I get tense around people you know, and, twirling. And guns. there is the student, you know, the student teacher firewall that should be kept. You don't want to get too involved with your students, right. even though he did have him along and was listening to all this stuff. He wasn't validating it, right? Because he was. You need that wall unless they're hot. <laughs> and it's college. Katie Holmes. It's got to be, she it's be told, college. And let's just say college. College. Okay. Wow. Senior year in college. Maybe. I need to go. Um, but yeah. Are if you only... a goer? Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. Say no more. Say no more. See, all of my college professors look like werewolves. <laughs> I mean, I, I, there was one. I had one, I had one college professor who was a Russian woman. And she taught um, statistics, which we called statistics. And she dressed like Ugh. a, she was really hot, but she dressed like a Ferengi from Star Trek. <laughs> and she spoke English only so well. Okay. And, well enough, yeah. And, and she one day was telling us about how American girls don't understand how to keep a man. And she was trying to say. Excuse me. That was the weirdest thing. Uh, and she was trying to say how her husband understood. Well, what she tried to say was once you've been with a Russian woman and you know what that's like. You'll never date anyone else. But what she actually said was, once you taste a Russian woman, yeah. <laughs> you won't want to eat any other women. <laughs> and <laughs> it was a delightful little episode. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> okay. I've been waiting to tr try to figure out how, uh, how, how to shoehorn that, that one in for about three years well now. Well done. Yeah. Well done. And you, you finally gave me the opening. Yes. That's uh, what he said. Let's let's play the recast game. Oh, yes, we've got to recast I'm so it. bad at this, guys. But you can't lose. I know. I just yeah. make it up. You're going to laugh at me. And does, gonna... it, does it have to be age appropriate? Or no. Or could it be no. young so-and-so oh, or older so-and-so? It doesn't matter. Whoever you okay. want. All right. Well, what have you got in mind then, Jason? Um. Okay. Um, want me to say the character and you tell me who they would be? Okay. Let's. let's okay. Yeah. Do that. Hannah Green. Uh, Kitty Holmes. <laughs> Why'd you start with her? Kim Kardashian. <laughs> Kim okay. Kardashian. No. Uh, okay. Um, hey, there's no wrong answers, buddy. Oh, okay. Um, you right, found let's... one. And <laughs> let's start with Grady. Grady. Um, okay. You're gonna think this is a bad idea. Nathan Fillion. No, he's he's okay. You you like I that? I can see that. Okay, yeah, I can see it. Gary Oldman. Yeah, Ooh, Gary Oldman. Yeah, that would be good. Okay, uh, for me. Who Actually, there's a lot of good actors that could do it. Yeah, that's true. Alan Rickman. Oh. <laughs> oh. oh. Um, I'll get you, James Lear. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. See, Grady's the tough one for Adam me. West. See, <laughs> okay, going to your tears. That of, would be fantastic. <laughs> that would be pretty great. Uh, Smoke some weed, old chum. <laughs> but going back to your different stages of life comment, Adam, I would yes. love to cast Robert Downey Jr. as Grady. 
instead of Crabtree yes, this time. Yeah. That's an excellent, yeah. I think that would be a great transition and a good callback for him. So, okay, Grady, we got our choices for Grady. Who would Crabtree be? A Vince Vaughn. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> okay. I was going to say Matthew I'm McConaughey. Sh- I'm throwing shit out. <laughs> That's but, what I love yeah, about them weird English, <laughs> <Yeah>. English <laughs> major boys. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. <laughs> no, I was more thinking of from like a true detective yes. sort of Matthew yes. McConaughey. You know? Okay. And I we can go, we yeah. go any period, right? Oh, yeah. yeah, it okay, doesn't good. matter. Yeah. Uh, but okay, so RDJ is Grady for me. Uh, who would be Crabtree now? Um, I would pick Dominic Cooper. Do y'all know who he is? I yes, don't. Yeah. I don't. Okay. Um, I was born yesterday. Uh, no, you've seen him. You just probably don't realize it. Uh, but don't don't you see that sort of scoundrelly, charming quality about him? Yeah, Dominic yeah. Cooper could really do it. Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> yeah, he could do it. Okay. And, and you know, you know, for Grady, you want to go out there, Joel McHale. Ooh, it's like the it's like the ooh, crossover to community. That yeah, is. Ooh, Allison Brie could be Hannah. Oh yeah, Allison yeah, absolutely. Brie. absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Especially if Joel McHale was great. Well, and and James Lear is basically uh, Abed, but you know instead of no. movies, it's books. <laughs> okay, you can't just recast community. All right, that's it. I'm movie. just picking all community actors. <laughs> okay, uh, so Dominic Cooper for me for Crabtree, and you said uh, Joel McHale for Grady. Now, uh, yeah. wait, who do you say? Crabtree is Benedict Cumberbatch. What about you? Who would play Crabtree? Crabtree, uh, that didn't I say? Oh, wait, Crab- oh, Crabtree. I said Vince Vaughn. I'm oh just, yeah, you did. Okay, sorry. Yeah, um, just for fun. Okay, so Hannah Green. So Allison Brie would be great. My another choice would be Emma Stone. Yeah, Emma Stone. I could see that. I think um, she could do it. It's funny thinking about the uh, community thing. I actually think Gillian Jacobs would be better. She doesn't look like her, but I think Gillian would would play the part better. Dame Diana Rigg yeah. from the Avengers. She'd have to wear leather. Well, that's fine. Yeah. That's but no fine. bra. Look up Dame sure. Diana Riggs from the Avengers and you'll understand where <laughs> I'm Keith going. David is Vernon. <laughs> yes! Because you're just, you're just, I know, he's just nailing it. I know. He's nailing it. That actually is a really good choice. Um, so, yeah, Vernon. Jim Rash as a... <laughs> as who? I don't know. As, as Oh, as, as Sarah's as doc, husband. Damn it. Community could just be this. This is just community in the future. That's what it is. Oh, um, okay. Uh, yeah, Dr. Walter your Gaskell. Who Who's Donald be? Glover? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Walter Gaskell could be... Uh, um. Uh, why am I thinking George Clooney for that? Okay. I, I could see it as Dr. Walter Gaskell. Who would be a good... Okay, who would be Walter Gaskell? I know, Darren McGavin. <laughs> <laughs> Actually... That are just flowing. I'm, yeah. just, I'm using the... the well, yeah. you could suggest Darren McGavin for anything. I I'm I'm investing I in that I project. I love Darren yeah. McGavin. Oh. Sarah Gaskell. He could play Katie Holmes' character. I'm still investing. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's green lit from this table. Okay, Sarah Gaskell. Oh, that's tough. So, especially oh, with Sarah. Oh, Jessica Walter. She's yeah, yeah. That's that's good. You know, it's, you got to be able to do the wasp thing. That's true. Or Portia de Rossi. 
Yeah, she's almost a little too sleek for that character, though. Like, yeah, she she wouldn't be working in the greenhouse. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, you're right. Because remember the commentary on that one episode where she was uh, Scott Bayo's maid, and uh, they're just doing the comments with the cast because they were like, "Oh, look, that was the first time that Portia de Rossi ever actually took out garbage." And they're like, yeah, look at that Porsche. <laughs> like they, they make fun of her so much for being prissy. But, yeah, I don't see her as a Sarah. Um, uh, nothing's coming. Sorry. Nothing's coming to me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I, I, I want James Lear. I, I have a nice, All right, who, supple who? young boy. Oh, God. Ew. Every, every. Come on. Ew. 1965. If you say. Burt Ward. Okay. Bert Ward. If you were going to say Salminio, I was no. leaving. No, 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 no. I'm not going that far back. But come on, Bert Can Ward. I smoke some weed? <laughs> James Lear. Yeah. Mm. You know uh, who Bert Ward is? No. Okay, good. That's just the way I You You it. would know if you saw him. Yes, you would. Okay. Well, now i got to look it up. Old chum. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, oh, now okay. I feel like I know. Okay. Yeah, you, you, you do know. Yeah. So who's your James Lear, Jason? Ooh, that's tough. I'm not going to say Donald Glover. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yes, I know who Burt Ward is. <laughs> How about for Sarah, a young Dame Maggie Smith? Yeah, oh, yeah. I thought that would be Maggie good. Smith's another person who... She could play any role. Anything. Yeah. yeah, whatever. She's Judy like... Judy Dench. Uh, um, <laughs> Too severe. She'd have to be a real young Judy Dench. I, I, well, we oh, no, Julie Christie. Ooh. Julie Christie. Yeah. yeah. Oh, um, um, yeah. uh, frog. <laughs> uh, banana. Your turn. <laughs> frog. Uh, oh, oh, what is her name oh, in real life? Um, Sally Field. Sally Field. <laughs> Sally Field oh. could be a good Sarah. Yeah. Yeah. I, I could see that. Like okay. frog. Okay. Where is this frog. going? I'm scared. She's having a spell. I want to hop on you like a frog. <laughs> I'm sorry. An episode. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, I didn't come up with the James Lear. Um, I think Andrew Garfield could pull it off. You know, I was thinking that, but I think the world has had enough of Andrew Garfield. That's not the point of the game. No, okay. I know. I... Mo- okay, most importantly, <laughs> most importantly, Q. Q. I think I could play Q quite well. You could. He gets a clutch on a younger woman at the club, so I'm okay it. with that. <laughs> I'm sure you would hate that. What about you, Jason? Well, George Saunders would be great at that role. I agree. Yeah, I'm trying to think of who is more Rip Torn than Rip Torn. Uh, he is so I unique. Know. Who? Jeffrey Tambor. <gasps> Ooh. I could go with that. Yeah. yeah. I like that. Jeff Goldblum. Uh. <laughs> um, oh. I could I could just hear him uh. doing the line of to the shore of uh inspiration. Well, it, he would play the same so character he played in, in Life Aquatic. I didn't see Life Aquatic. You gotta see Life Aquatic. Okay, I'll watch it just for you. But I think no, but it, be it's a good the same cue. character, and not just because I like Jeff Goldblum. I think he actually would fit really well into that role. Yeah, especially yeah. at his age that he is now. Yeah, I could see that. Um, cool. Anybody else in the movie? Yes. Yeah, so the movie. Hula. <laughs> yeah, that's, Marilyn Monroe. That's the big climax. So uh, the whole oh, we didn't even mention this. So the reason why Ula comes back on the scene, and it all ties together, is because Vernon, the black gentleman that Grady and Crabtree were making fun of at the bar, is Ula's boyfriend and her baby daddy. So he has accused Grady of having stolen 
his car. And he actually chases Grady through alleyways. And he's like, you driving this car? And he's like, yeah, it's my car. Bullshit. It's mine, motherfucker. And he's like That's just right. yelling. At, and uh, Q and Crabtree are in the car too. And this is why I, Robert Downey Jr., this is one of my favorite lines in the whole movie because he's got this just – He's so resentful toward Trip for making him wait for the second novel and like it's affecting his personal life and it he doesn't appreciate that Trip doesn't appreciate that it's hurting his personal life. So there's just all this subtle nuance to their relationship and so they're in the back of the car and Grady has also cock blocked Crabtree from taking James home while he's comatose mm-hmm. on drugs and um, so Vernon stops him. And A gets decent in, thing. Get, no yeah <laughs> yes. but uh, Vernon gets in front of the car and Crabtree's like do you owe him a book too? <laughs> <laughs> and I laugh my yes. ass off every time I hear that but uh, so Vernon steals his car back from Grady and the problem there... Well, because that's an important point. It is actually his car. It is, it is his car yeah. because uh, Grady got the car from a friend who owed him money, who apparently has problems with owing people money. And so Grady took the car as collateral to make sure that he was going to get his money back. English he, teachers are often engaging in this sort of activity. Very well, true. When they, Very yeah. true. When they're yeah. smoking that much pot. Yeah, that, that <laughs> is, okay, yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> I would say so. Okay. <laughs> so, And I've got a question about this because this is just not a good plan. But um, No, it's a terrible plan. I don't get it. But it's, it's basically... You're right. Grady does turn James in with the simple act. But yeah. I've got to finish up why Vernon ties in. So Vernon steals his car back. It turns out that he's Ula's baby daddy. And the boys leave Marilyn's jacket in the car when it's stolen. So Ula right. starts to wear it because it's very pretty and fancy. And she's built just like Marilyn. Yes, what are the is. odds? Thin yeah. shoulders. Yeah, she had small shoulders. Small Most shoulders. people don't know that. And uh, so... All that comes to a climax later, but so Crabtree, Grady takes uh, the initiative to call James's parents who he thinks are dying or dead or like he never really gets a beat on it. But then he just does the simple thing of looking them up in the damn book and calling them. Katie Holmes does that. No, he, oh, he calls information. You're right. And gets their number. Okay. That's why he he didn't know where they live. He got the number from the, the library book. He called information to find out the town he lived in, but the town didn't exist. That's right. Carvel, yeah. yeah. And, but so he still he gets fa- in touch with them. He does. He found his home phone number in one of the books. There was a phone number. Oh, that's right. And then Katie Holmes. You've seen this movie up. before, right? Approximately 50 times. Yes. <laughs> Apparently you the, must, you the must details blur. Yeah. Sorry, hindsighters. I've let you down. When she yep, Iron it. Man's about to give it to Spider-Man. Oh. I know. God. <laughs> There's so many DC Marvel oh my gosh, interactions. You know, Iron Man, that. Spider-Man. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Katie Holmes from Batman, but um. But did that Spider-Man ever work with that Iron Man? Was there a crossover? No, 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 no. no. They were never. In the, so. uh, Tom Holland was the only one that ever uh, worked with Robert Downey yes. Jr. So, uh, yeah. So it comes to a crux when Grady has to go and find the car to get the jacket back, but he has an episode while he's in the car and passes out, and yeah. unfortunately, he has James's gun in his hand. And so he's sitting in the back of a car that doesn't belong to him and Vernon pulls his own gun and they get into an altercation and uh, Robert Downey Jr., they have recovered Tripp's book. He's keeping it. Just boxes in, it's in papers. the passenger boxes seat papers of the in, car they're in. And what car are they With what? open top. Nothing Katie, covering the papers. No, it was Katie Holmes' car, Hannah's car they borrowed. But all this looks like a complete lack of sense when really Robert Downey Jr. points out the possibility that... Was that, a, was that happenstance that he just happened to be passing by? I don't know. No, that's was, the guy who took the car back because... Uh, no, 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 but I know. I know, but there was a phone call where they asked for his name and address, and I was just wondering if that was... It could be. It was either the police? No, no, or, no. It was... It was That all comes together because that's the second time you see that van. 
Right. And that's how Grady knows where to look for it. Because later when they do find the car, yes. uh, RDJ's like, oh my God, it's a miracle. How'd you know where to look, Trip? That's crazy. Right. So when, because James answers the phone earlier in the movie and he's like, oh, a stranger called. He didn't give his name. If it was the police, they would have stated that it's oh, the police. Oh, you're right. So it was he's the, like, it he didn't was, give his name. And he asked James if, Brown, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, it, you, but you don't know that because right. James uh, doesn't know the guy's voice. So, because Vernon doesn't speak to them until later. And uh, so James is like, he called and asked if somebody's driving a Maroon Galaxy 400 or 500 with Maroon interior uh, or black interior. And he goes, well, what'd you say, James? I said, yes. <laughs> oh, that's that's great, James. It's fantastic. And then in the same night you see like the Kravnik's van and then the Kravnik's van drives by when Trip is albeit stone, but he's like, he puts those two pieces two together, together yeah. To know where it is, yes. And so he finds his car. Yes. And luckily, Kravnik's is not a chain because they go to the one Kravnik's yeah, the one, uh, yeah. dry cleaners. It didn't really look like a chain. No, <laughs> it looked fair. pretty run down. Well, but an interesting diversion from the book, though, happens with Ula <clears throat> because Tell us. in the movie, um, Trip sees that Ula is wearing Marilyn's coat, right? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And he lets her have it. Yes. Yes. And in the book, he doesn't. Oh, he doesn't? No. Um, he lets Sarah actually wears it at their wedding. I had forgotten oh. about that. It's yeah, been so, so little, long since I read the book. But it, it actually, it's it's a lot better this way. And, well, I agree. And well, I thought it was important that he didn't return it because that angered the husband even more that he was going to send him to jail, which forced the publicist to publish his book. Which got him off the hook. Right. Yeah, it so all there, comes full it, circle. It does. It's tied up into a nice, beautiful bow at the end. And of course. But the, the, the plan that gets James in trouble and gets the ball rolling is the fact that when Grady and Crabtree go to rescue James from his parents' house, they take Poe out of the trunk <laughs> and put him in James's bed. And James does state, he's like, oh, my mom's been coming down here like every 30 minutes to check up on me. She's going to know what I'm missing. And he's like, oh, we should like... And RDJ's like, oh, stuff a teddy bear and some clothes under there. She'll never know the difference. And Michael Douglas is like, no, no, I got no. a better idea. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And no, you really don't. Dog there. What? You really don't have a better idea. It's just like. <laughs> you have a much worse zero, idea. At this point, I think he's approximately at zero fucks given. So yep. it, whatever. And RDJ does nail Spider-Man. You're right. <laughs> so. I think we know who the pitcher and who the catcher was. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I don't know. They both. Well, he's got the indentation of a pillow in his cheek. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, that'll do it. Will he was, it now? He was, bite, he was biting the pillow. Yeah. I don't know why. No, uh-huh. That's what I heard. <laughs> that was hella right. specific. They were wrestling. <laughs> that's right. They were. There and was he got scared, <laughs> and he hit his what face in we the got pillow. Any <laughs> like at this point, even vegetable oil will help me get that. Drawer Who taught those guys <laughs> how to play leapfrog? <laughs> They're doing it all wrong. It's these young boys on <laughs> the. You're never going to get anywhere. They're playing leapfrog. We we have to tie it up. We we, we do have to tie it up. Um, Alf to Seinfeld for, you know, me, uh, obviously, it's a five. Mm -hmm. First time I ever saw it. Uh, Having said that, I would like to give it an honorary, like, nine. Yay! Uh, It was a a fantastic movie. Yes. Really, really fantastic. One of my Um, all-time faves. I I guess, really, you're the only one who can do the Alf to Seinfeld. I mean, Mr. Brown, you have... Well, since I'm not a biter... uh, Ah. Which I would give it a five and a nine. I'm going to give it a five and an eight, so that Yay. I'm not a copycat. Okay, all right. Yeah, I did good. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, <clears throat> so I loved this movie from the first time I saw it, uh, which would have been I would have been in my early twenties. So it's been several years since 
I first saw it, but I've watched it. This is my fall time movie. When the weather turns truly cold outside, I don't know what it is. I just get the urge to watch this movie. Oh, I can so see it. I watch it at least once a year. Mm. And especially since that's like during the school semester, the cold weather and the English, like all that just ties in and reminds me of my own college experience. Not that I ever shot a dog and smoked joints while I was driving a car, but <laughs> it, you haven't lived. Apparently not. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't live through the 60s, so clearly not. Anyway. Um, anyway, I would say when I first saw it, I loved it for what it was. But as I got older uh, and read more books, like, and that's that's the thing about this movie. Like, it, the more, the, the better read you are, the more you're going to enjoy it. Because there are lots of literary references and you understand, like, the overall air of, like, the so snooty we, English department. So what you're saying is we lost our entire audience. Yeah, yeah. Damn, Mr. Brown. That's uh, gang. Sorry, we brought this movie to you, but uh, read a little bit more and you'll get it. You're the worst. Yeah. So we'll I would... be doing Transformers next week. <laughs> 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 Lots of explosions. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I would say that this movie jumps up to a nine for me because okay. it it only gets better every time I watch it because there are so many subtle nuances to it and it's not even in like an inception way where you're like oh I missed this tiny little item that was on the desk it's nothing like that it's it's all in the dialogue I'll forget or I never notice a particular line that somebody said or some little gesture like the nickel that you brought up I'd never caught that mm-hmm. so uh, just little things I, it improves for me literally every time I watch it. And I think it's kind of like what you said, the older you get, the better perspective you have on the different characters and the different stages of life that they're in. Indeed. So I totally am with you on that. So I'm going to give it a nine. Okay. All right. Well, uh, a very high scoring movie. I think uh, one of I'll, the highest we've ever yeah. had, actually. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's fantastic. Thank yeah. you. Um, I'm glad that, I could bring fantastic, this in. Right that's fantastic. That's not there. bad. Katie that's not bad. Sans bra. That's the Latin gang, God. or French, I don't know. And on that bombshell. <laughs> Such intellect in this room, my God. It yes. drops 50 points when there's no bra present. So on that bombshell of a note, uh, we're going to wrap it up. So, Hindsiders, thank you for joining us for a non-contentious episode. That's what I was going for. It's almost the holidays, so we should get along every so often. So thank you for joining us for your drive time, getting stoned in the car time, your literary time, your... Any kind of time. We just appreciate you tuning in. This has been Darth, Adam, and Jason with Hindsight. And good night.